I started writing when I was 10. If I weren't getting paid for it, I would probably still be writing for free. It's just something that I can't don't say that. We don't believe doing. in that here. <laughs> I, know, I know. I know. You cannot just repeat news from other sources. You have to go in and you have to get it yourself, which means you have to do the work. You have to pound the pavement. You have to knock on doors, make phone calls, and actually get the interviews. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Baloop, and boy, do we have an exciting, amazing guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is an award-winning broadcaster and journalist. She is one of the leading lights at PJ Media and one of the top thinkers in the freedom and conservative space. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Megan Fox. Welcome to the show, Megan. What an introduction. That might be the best one I've ever had. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> I was going for that. That's what we're known for on the show, making killer really intros. Good. So I'm going to record that and put it on my phone. <laughs> you should. You should. Make it my alarm to wake up to every morning. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, Megan, let me tell you a bit about this show. The Thought Leader Revolution is a show for the entrepreneur. It's a show dedicated to freedom, free expression, and free enterprise. The men and women who listen to the show are those who have the courage to start businesses and make their dreams and visions come true in the world. They listen to this show, not so much to hear from me, but to hear from you and learn how you took your brand, yourself, to where you are, what they can learn about that to apply to their life and their business. And they want to be inspired to go do that. And they want to be inspired by a fellow warrior for freedom, free expression, and free enterprise. Before they can do that, before they can open their souls to you, their hearts to you, they need to get to know you. Tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Megan Fox? Oh, goodness. Well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's... um. It's it's really years and years and years of of passion. I started writing when I was ten. Uh, I started. I was a writer at ten. I've I filled up more more notebooks. Um, you know, I have stacks and boxes and boxes of notebooks under my bed um, and in the basement. I just have never been able to not write, and it was just something that I always did. And eventually, one day, an aunt of mine who's very uh, very politically involved and and also has always been one of my biggest supporters, said to me, because I was writing this blog that I had, that I had just set up a WordPress while I was working my day job. I was doing broadcasting. I was working at WLS in Chicago. And I also worked for Rush Limbaugh Syndicator uh, for a while, but I was doing really, you know, um, menial kind of tasks. I was, I was working as a secretary in the marketing department. And so I wasn't following, you know, necessarily my passion. I loved broadcasting, but I, I really wanted to be in the um, political commentary space. And so I had this, this blog, but my aunt came to me one day and she said, Hey, listen, you need to do this full time and you need to do it. You know, you need to get paid for it. 
you need to uh, send your resume to like your um, aunt already. She sounds fabulous. And she is fabulous. And she said, you need to get paid for it. Here's this advertisement I found. And it was for David Horowitz's new website that he was creating at the time called Newsreel Blog. And they were looking for uh, feminist writers on the conservative side. They were looking for women in particular to be an answer to the far left feminists. And I did. I sent them samples of my work, of my, my writing that I was doing on the side while I was working all day. And they hired me. And it's really been ever since then, uh, David Horowitz, I worked there for a couple of years and then that site, he decided to um, disband and go forward with his regular print magazine and uh, PJ Media picked me up and I've been there ever since. And it's been, I've been doing this now for, I think I've been there for almost eight or nine years at PJ Media. Um, I... I do it because I can't not do it. If I weren't getting paid for it, I would probably still be writing for free. It's just something that I can't don't say stop that. We don't believe doing. in that here. <laughs> I, know, I know. I know. It's really quite a coup, though, that I was able to turn it into, um, you know, being able to not work at an office and be sitting here in my house writing columns all day. It's fun. And then, of course, it turned into a podcast. And sometimes I sit in on the radio here in I live near Rochester in New York. And um, it's a really fun thing to do. I love broadcasting. I love being on the air. It's it's a fun thing to do, especially on live radio. Well, I didn't know you had a podcast. Tell me about your I podcast. I do. It's, it's called The Fringe. And we I'm my podcast is about being out on the raggedy edge uh, of, of this culture, you know, this culture that is so far gone to the left that people like me and maybe you feel very out of like a fish out of water. You know, I feel like (laughs) we've been pushed, we've been pushed out to the very, um, edge of society. And I just don't understand what's going on around me anymore. I don't understand this culture of, um, extreme oversharing uh in the too much information crowd i don't i don't i and that's you know you contacted me you contacted me because of the jack murphy thing and that was part part of my issue with him is that this is part of the reason why this culture is on fire because every so many people think that we need to know about every single detail of their lives, including their kink and whatever else they're into in the bedroom. I don't want to know about any of that from any of you. Like not not the L's, not the G's, not the B's, not the T's, not the S's. I don't care about the straights either. I don't want to know what your kink is. Like keep it in the closet, please. We've had enough. Can we button it back up and like just be normal people again? who don't talk about things that shouldn't be at the dinner table. And, and I feel like everything has come out to this place in this culture where we are just overrun with everyone's verbal diarrhea and I'm tired of it. I'm sick of it. And I want it to stop. And so my podcast is on our PJ media's VIP subscriber content. It is behind a paywall because we it. do need, we do need to, um, and to to protect ourselves from the big tech censorship that is so terrible and so rampant and they've been trying to shut us down for a long time. And so we have this VIP subscribership service which is great because it gets you access to all kinds of exclusive content like podcasts like mine. Steven Cruiser has a couple of podcasts that he does uh oh, yeah. behind the I'd, VIP I'd like wall. To, I'd like to connect with him and get him on the show as well. Um Sure. Be cool. Yeah, I like Cruiser's his stuff a, too. Cruiser's a good dude. Um he, yeah, his, sure his, he I, I can tell by how he writes. I'll tell you something. We should talk about this offline, but I wrote a book with Wayne Allen Root called The Great Patriot Protest and Boycott Book. 
And it is uh, the, the subtitle is the a priceless list for Christians, conservatives, Trump warriors, and those who want to uh, cancel cancel culture. We made a list of, of uh, over 100 corporations that are woke, and we offer a blueprint for the normals to go and <laughs> boycott them. And that we tell them exactly how to do it, how to find them on social media and regular, you know, snail mail and all that jazz. And uh, we've been on quite a few shows. I mean, Wayne is quite a well-known person in the conservative space. I'm sure you know who Wayne is. I'm not sure, but don't judge me because I don't know. Look anyone. him up. You'll, you'll. I've got my nose in my computer all day. Long I, I get it, but you'll, you'll. <laughs> what what, doing, once you I read up on it. him, you'll go. Oh, yeah, I know this guy. He's. Um, I probably do. You're. They call him the right. Trump of Las Vegas. He's a personal friend of Donald Trump's. He's uh, been a best-selling author. Uh, he wrote Trump Rules. He's a businessman. Um, he's. Uh, he was on Newsmax. He used to interview Bill O'Reilly. He's 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 one of us. He's a good dude. Um, and, and and anyways, we've this this book's been a, a a labor of love for the both of us, and we want we want more people to interview us about the book and get it out there. So if that's something you would be interested in doing, we'd be very grateful for that. Um, but I'll tell sure, you, I'd love to read it. Yeah, yeah, please. Uh, you know what? Send me your address. I'll send you a signed copy. Okay, uh, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what's here's what I want to say about what you just said though. It may seem like we're on the fringe, but we're actually the overwhelming majority of human beings because the the, the regular sure people. I am. I am one hundred percent sure because I, I talk to a so. lot of people. I talk to a lot of people. Okay, I personally know ten thousand people. I'm a people guy, and I'm telling you, the people that are on social media and uh, com- com- are in charge of the commanding heights of culture. We're on the fringe of those people, but of the normal people, normal people don't want to hear about your damn kinks. They don't care. They don't care. And in fact, they tell you too much oversharing, man. I feel like telling the young people who are so into TikTok and they're sharing about their different mental illnesses and making this, it, it is so sick. It's got to stop. People are using mental illness now to get attention, They're, to create personality that they don't have. So they're just latching on to this, uh, you know, to a me- yeah, they don't. It. They have instead they have mental disorders, and so those mental disorders become their personality. Is what they, they think that they, I mean, mm-hmm. it is known that social media causes mental disorders. The young people of this, and I sound so old now. I mean, I'm 45, but I mean, it's. The young people are seriously, seriously not okay. They are not okay. And they are they are latching on to mental illness as if it's something that will give them a flavor or spice that they just don't have because they haven't taken the time to develop personality. And it's really becoming a, it's unworkable. Whatever this is, is totally unworkable. I cannot talk to people and relate with these people whose only claim to accomplishment in their lives is that they are living with a mental disorder. People with mental disorders usually like to think of themselves as um, as surviving with it, as thriving with it, in spite of it. Not because, not being their, into, their just, total they're identity. Just trying to get, they're just trying to get attention. Well, of course they are. It's the same thing with the trans trenders and everybody's a transgender. No, you're not. You're just trying to get attention. And the kids, the new transgender kids are now like when I was growing up, we would call them the goth kids. They were the ones wearing the black with the piercings in their lips and black lipstick. 
to get attention from yeah, and annoyed. I, I had a crush on a couple of girls in, in high school that were goth back in the day. <laughs> yes, you remember. Totally. Totally. I kind of love the pale skin, man. I'm a, I'm a dark <laughs> Middle Eastern guy, so I was into the pale skin. <laughs> that is so funny because my sister is very pale and she always had Middle Eastern men hitting on her wherever we went. <laughs> and we used to tease her that she was going to get sold into some kind of white slavery because she was always being approached in the middle of the, uh, you know, anywhere we were. My, be- my better half is a blonde Canadian German girl like, i'm gonna pull up a picture of her to show you this is my white girl can you see oh, her she's pretty yeah i can see her she is light <laughs> she is light, yeah, she is light. <laughs> so let's get back to what connected us that pretty awesome article you wrote about jack murphy so jack murphy is a dude who is uh, in the men's space so i i i'm also in the men's space so just full disclosure um i charge for it too the new thing, me charging for it. I'm, at the moment, I'm still losing money on the whole venture because, you know, I'm paying for a podcast and a producer and websites. It's costing us more money. But um, we charge for it for two reasons. We, we've done these programs for free. And we find when people pay, they, they just they get more out of it. They put more into it. When it's free, they treat it like it's free. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so that's one reason that we charge for it. And quite candidly, you know, if it blew up and we made a lot of money, I'm not opposed to that. I'm a capitalist. Well, no, me either. I'm a yeah. capitalist as well. And I, I don't really think the the issue with Jack Murphy was that he was making money uh, with his with his organization. I realize that, but I just wanted to give you that caveat. Yeah, yeah, I, and, I, and there's nothing wrong with the manosphere either. I mean, men are a um, a group of especially young men, in especially in this culture, who many of whom have been raised by single mothers and don't have. Um, male influence in their lives and they're sorely lacking because of that we have a serious problem with absentee fathers and so of course you're going to have to you're going to have men who are feeling directionless and lost and yes it's good that there are are other men who are willing to step in and help those those people and people are free to spend their money however they want 100 what i don't like about jack murphy's situation is that for one i think his his what he's misrepresented himself, what he's offering for the money also does not seem all that great. First of all, a hundred dollars a month for a chat room where other men sell you their products doesn't really sound to me like they're getting their money's worth, but that's on them. The consumer, you know, once the consumer signs up for that and sees, well, maybe this isn't all cracked. It's all that it's cracked up to be. I should get out of here. What bothers me the most about it even more than Jack Murphy misrepresenting himself because come on, a, a, a scammer is a scammer and their scammers do what scammers do. What bothers me is the, the all out what's the word I'm looking for push by these other conservative or conservative leaning or libertarian leaning guys who have these huge platforms. And I'm talking about Tim pool, yeah. Mike Cernovich who Mike Cernovich, by the way, I have nothing bad to say about Mike. He has, done good things with his, you know, gorilla mindset in the book that he wrote. He's not out there charging guys outrageous fees for his advice. He gives a lot of it away for free on Twitter. And I agree with a lot of what he has to say. However, he gave Jack Murphy a huge platform 
Tim Pool gave him a huge platform every Wednesday. The guy was almost like a co-host on a show that has, you know, he's got what a million subscribers million or something. Subscribers, yeah. Uh, then there's, you know, there's others too who have all. Uh, Scott Adams was on the liminal order. You know, gave a problem. I don't know if he was paid to do it or not. But these are guys with huge platforms. Did they do any research into who this guy was? And the thing that makes it upsetting to me is that in this in this range of in this area of conservative thought and philosophy and all of us writers and talking heads and whatever, there's a lot of us who have been doing this a very long time. And we know we need to be careful about who we elevate and who we you know, link arms with, because there's always going to be those guys, those grifters and scammers, and maybe even plants who are coming in to make us look terrible. And Jack Murphy seems like the perfect setup to me. I don't know if he's a, uh, some kind of FBI plant. I don't know. That's possible. He, he, he came out of nowhere and all of a sudden he's everywhere and no one questioned this when he was doing it. The weird articles he was writing were only in 2015. The porn that he did was in 2019. So for him to get out and say, well, that was me. That was a long time ago. And I'm not like that anymore. Baloney. I bet in the next couple of weeks, we'll find there was more pornography even later than 2019. Listen, he is being mocked mercilessly by 21 Studios founder, Anthony Johnson. I had Anthony on my show a long time ago. Great. Great guy, a little out there, a little on the edge, but uh, he, he, he tells it like he sees it. I don't agree with everything Anthony says, but, you know, when he finds a fraud, he just goes after him mercilessly. And he and he should. And, and he every, has been, if you I go on YouTube and you Cernovich, look up 21 Cernovich Studios. Hasn't, yeah. Cernovich hasn't even addressed it. I've reached out to him on Twitter a couple of times to ask him to please do it. And Tim Poole is white knighting for this guy. And I don't know why he's covering. Well, he did. And since then, he hasn't said a word. Even after it came out, the Jack Murphy went on his program and lied, straight up lied. And we saw the video evidence of it afterwards. Tim Poole refuses to address that lie. And he refused, even though he's getting super chats every night asking him to do it. He's just ignoring his audience. I think it's a real shame uh, that these guys are giving a guy a platform who is a total fraud. Um, and Well, that platform's gone. You know he's not going to have that now. Kind. Well, we, we'll see if Tim Poole invites him back on. He was not on uh, today's, or was today Wednesday? Today's Wednesday, if Tim so... Tim Poole if, invites him back on, he's going to be damaging his own brand. So I don't know a lot about Tim Poole, but he doesn't strike me as that, that you mentioned stupid a guy. cancel culture, and... While I think the cancel culture is damaging in the way that we see um, innocent people being railroaded out of jobs and things like that for saying politically incorrect things, I've decided there's nothing we can do about cancel culture except use it to our advantage uh, because it's not going anywhere. Why I wrote my book. (laughs) It's not going anywhere. And so when we're willing to play their game, that's when we'll start winning. So I'm a big believer in cancel culture. I think we should go after every person on the left we can possibly cancel. And I think we should also go after Jack Jack, uh, Murphy and cancel him. He should never, He's canceled. He should never have another platform on this conservative side ever again. This book was written to cancel a hundred really big companies. That's what we <laughs> aim to do. And first on my list is Twitter. Twitter should cease to exist. Cease to exist. <laughs> Twitter is a racist, 
sexist, homophobic, anti-American platform that belongs in China or destroyed here. And Parag Agarwal is the most racist piece of crap I've ever seen heading a major American corporation. Every conservative should come out and call this man what he is, a racist. Because that's what he is. You know, we we did write a couple of things on PJ Media about his comments, his former comments, and they do seem uh, very racist. He's but very racist. I, I will say Viciously this about so. I will say this about Twitter. Twitter, um, regardless of the kind of censorship that they're engaged in, because all of big tech is engaged in the same thing. I will say that the platform itself has never been done like this before. It, not no other platform has what they have, which is the first place where you could go as a regular person and actually reach out to a celebrity that you hate for whatever reason and tell him how much you hate him. And there's a good chance that he'll see it and respond and have a meltdown. There's never been anything like this before. It's an incredibly fun platform. Uh, They do need to fix their, their censorship problems, but I do really enjoy Twitter. I I don't I like echo chambers. That. I don't like echo chambers. I don't like to be in a, a, surrounded by only people who agree with me. I personally love being able to interact with people like Rachel Maddow and poke at the bee's nest. I, I think it's great. I think it's great fun. Good for you. I don't have a problem with that. I do have a problem with censorship. I do have a problem with a major corporation being headed by an out and out bigot. Uh, and for that reason, I want Twitter canceled and destroyed and ground into <laughs> dust. It will be. I just want Elon Musk to buy it. I just want Elon. Elon's awesome. I love Elon. What if Elon bought Twitter and then we could just all stop? (laughs) We could all just just go. Everyone could come back on the platform and just keep going. I don't want to ban anybody from it. Not not the left. No, I I think everybody. We just need to get rid of the bigots running Twitter. And I got to tell you, as long as they're in charge, they don't deserve to exist. That's the way I see it. And, and um, there are a lot of other, listen, I'm a huge sports guy. Uh, I had seasons tickets to Toronto FC. I live in Toronto and um, my, I no, would you're take, not too far from me. I'm not far from you at all. <laughs> not far from you at all. Just a short ferry right away. That's uh, right. Yeah. So uh, I also uh, took my kids to sports games, uh, the Leafs, uh, the Raptors. We spent a ton of money on that. And I was a huge fan. And then sports went woke. And I got to tell you, I, you know, I'll still occasionally watch something on YouTube, but I don't spend any money on it anymore. It it really turned off a lot of people. My husband was a very big baseball fan and, uh, and an NBA fan. He would watch basketball, you know, and he loves the NFL. And when this all, I mean, he probably for the last two years, I could count on one hand, how many games he decided to watch. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because, you know, they've just killed it for a lot of people who really just want to break from all this nonsense. Yeah. Nobody wants to marinate in this cultural morass no. for, you know, 24 hours a day. Like, give us a break. Can't we just have some fun once in a while? What is the deal with these people? They are so, so serious. There is a great article right now in uh, on human events. And I'm trying yep. to get a hold of the guy who wrote it and he's not on social media anywhere. So I'm having a hard <laughs> time finding him. And he wrote an article about how the, the series Glee actually started the SJW woke trend in America and how the, the fans of that show, which were, you know, 
so many, there were so many, there were like tens of thousands of fans of that show that they actually created this awful culture that we're in right now. And he made a great case for it. Um, even to the fact that one of the biggest fans of one of their fan groups became a Hollywood, uh, not a producer, but someone around the table, uh, like giving them advice, advice on what's problematic and what's not, you know, it all became this culture war that started with the show. You guys have to go read this. It's on human events. Just look up human events, glee, and you'll find it. It's a fantastic article. And it really explains a lot of what we're dealing with. And one of the things that he concluded was that the SJWs have turned, they've turned our political, uh, situation into high school again. Mm -hmm. That's what they really want. This is all revenge for them not being successful in high school and for them feeling like losers and outcasts. And so now everyone has to have an identity and everyone has to be um, petted and celebrated for everything that they do. And nothing you say is correct. Everything is problematic, everything until they, they even eat each other. And and this is the way it's going to go. They're going to end up. Yeah. They've even they already you know, have. Well, and, he, and he explains that even the Glee fans hate each other and they now hate the show. They have turned completely on the show and they the, the whole thing has just been cursed from from the get go because it was all about yeah. these people seeing themselves in the characters and then being angry when the show wouldn't write the character the way they felt it should be written, um, which is just so funny because it's a great it's a great way to describe what has really gone on in our culture with the sense of entitlement that everyone seems to have. 100% true. 100% true. Um, I, I, I have created for myself a freedom bubble, a big freedom bubble where I live. Uh, I have gone on social media and I used to have a lot of haters that pretty much got rid of all of them. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I basically bring people into my world, into my sphere who believe in freedom. Like you don't have to agree with me on everything, but you got to agree with me that I have the right to have my opinions. And if someone doesn't agree on that, if they're not freedom minded, they don't get to be in Nikki Bellu's land and Nikki Bellu's life and Nikki Bellu's circle. You're not a freedom minded person. I'm a big believer in the block button. Yeah, absolutely. Get the heck out of here. Uh, (laughs) 1000%. Okay. So let's talk for a moment about this whole Jack Murphy situation again, because I, I really think there's a lot that we can unpack there. It'll be valuable for my listener in terms of how they go about finding their ideal client and in terms of not going after and working with charlatan marketers. Because you see, I rail against in my business, and it's a bit self-serving, the charlatan marketer. I say you have to beware the charlatan marketer. That is the man or the woman who comes out and promises you the moon and is really good at pressing all the right buttons, but they don't deliver. They're a fake. They're a fraud. And they take your money and they take your hopes and they take your dreams and your faith and they tear them into shreds. Uh, And we don't want that because Mm -hmm. people who hire the wrong guru, the wrong uh, mentor, the wrong coach, the wrong mastermind, end up getting hurt. And Jack Murphy is a perfect example, in my opinion, of the charlatan marketer. So I thought that it would be really cool to unpack that aspect of who this fella is. And while I appreciate what you're saying about these folks who gave him a platform, I do want to say that 
human nature has people want to believe in other people, especially people who stand up for the things that you believe in and want to see have others stand up for. And I I understand your frustration with these folks that gave this fallout platform. Well, but I also understand because, and, why and maybe were... it's self-serving, but I will say uh, one of the things that bothers me the most is that I can name 10 other, you know, tried and true conservatives who have been through the fire for years now who never get the chance uh, of those large platforms. You know, we're, 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 we're slaving away down here in obscurity and have been doing so for 20 years while fly by night charlatans like Jack Murphy get invited onto the Tim pool uh, show. Give me a break. You know what, Tim rush Limbaugh used to quote me four times a day because he was smarter than you. You should have me on your program because I've been doing this for 20 years. You should have uh, Steve green on your program. Vodka pundit at PJ media. Who's one of the founders of PJ media who has done incredible work in the conservative movement and incredible work, you know, for men who are looking for someone to look up to. I am just annoyed that these guys will latch onto these these new people like Jack Murphy who have no background, who have no um, no history with this movement, no history in politics. And this is what you get when you do that. Listen, I appreciate that. And I can totally understand why these guys got taken in by that. We've all been taken in by people. You know, I can tell yeah, you. I guess. I, I guess. I had, a, I had a, a friend of mine. Google search, a simple Google search could have saved them the embarrassment. But when someone's got a little bit of cachet, and he did for a while, they don't need to do that. Yeah. And they're well, not going to think to do that. He's making 70 to 80,000 a month on that, pulling down 70 to 80 grand a month on that liminal order website of his. It's a lot of cash. And I That's do wonder. A, that, I'm telling you right now, that money is drying up for him real fast. I hope so. And I do wonder if if any of them were paid to hear, to have him on their programs. Who knows? Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But you, you got to understand that happens. I mean, you look at Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos, right? She had some of the biggest names in uh, yeah, America. Was she was good. She had James really Mattis, good. who's nobody's really good. fool. You know, <laughs> really she good. had... I was nervous the other day that they were going to come back with a not guilty on her. There were too many men on that jury. And I thought, they don't see through it. Many men. <laughs> They're not going to well, see through it. Oh, no, no, no. You, you, you. Oh, but she was really good in the men department. She's got them snowed. Listen, I mean, listen, you know, listen, I don't know what it is about Elizabeth. Yeah, yeah, you got to watch man, that. That's not a cool thing to say. Not all true, men are that dumb. It's true. Not no, it's all, not. Because of course, no, it's not. Not all. Not but all she's men are that dumb, number it. one. And most men are not that dumb. <laughs> And I'll tell you something about Elizabeth. I, I didn't follow the case very closely. I don't know everything that happened. But if I was on a jury, I would be looking at the facts. I wouldn't care about the person's personality or, how, or whether they were ugly or pretty or whatever. I would care about the facts. And if somebody did the things that she was accused of doing, I'd come back. With and is now convicted verdict. of doing. And yeah. now is, is now convicted yeah. of doing. She's well, going to go just, to jail. But I listen, say, here's the point I'm trying to make. Mattis. Let's come back here. There are thought General of, Mattis, though, was stupid. I mean, it, there are a wouldn't. lot of people that got taken in by her. And oh, this is the yes. point I'm trying to make. This is what I'm trying to help you see. Human nature is we want to give people the benefit of the doubt. You are not looking. Most people are not looking to say, I think there's something off with this person, unless 
something hits you and you smell it right away. Now, our buddy Kent Clisby, and I recommend you check out Kent's book, and you might want to have him on your show as well. He has a whole business that goes around checking on people who basically claim to be something. He's like a credibility assessment yeah, it's very expert. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And he, there was an article that was written in the New York Times about how he took down a major Fox News analyst, Clisby, C-L-I-Z-B-E, Kent, first name. Mm-hmm. And you got to check this guy out on what he, what he did because, you know, he is like you. He believes that people don't do enough due diligence on people and they need to do a ton more due diligence on people because they're going to be taken in by the charlatans. I happen to believe there's a lot of charlatans out there. And you know what? Doing a little bit of due diligence is smart. It's very, very smart. But that doesn't mean you're not going to get taken in at some point. And, and I do get what you're saying. The guys who gave him a platform, maybe they were just taken in by it. I tend to not believe anybody. That's just that's just who I am. I, I believe everybody's giving me a line of bullshit until I see the evidence. Um, I wrote a book called Believe Evidence, you know, and, and so I and I get very angry uh, if I get taken advantage of by somebody. You lie to me and I find out about it. I, that's it. You're out. I've cut you off forever. I it, in Thank my you. line of work, when I'm take, getting a story from somebody, I interview a lot of people with a lot of stories, a lot of sob stories about what happened to them. And there I will tell them, don't lie to me because I'll find it. And when I find it, I'm still writing about this. <laughs> So you're going to go down for it. And it, it generally, I mean, I have caught people lying to me before and, and I, you know, sure. look, it's important to check your sources. It's important to vet everything and everyone, especially people you're going to give your money to. I feel very bad for the guys who were taken in by the liminal order stuff. And some of them are, are still saying that it was uh, valuable to them and that's good. And I'm glad they got Listen, some value being out in of a it. Community is always valuable. I'll tell of you course. that right now. A hundred bucks a month to be in a community is not really a lot of money. And oh, even, I think it's way too much to make friends. E- e- I mean, even come if on. the guy, it's not just about being friends. Okay, it's different. It's very different. For a hundred bucks a month, if you're in business, especially, that's not a lot of money. Like I run masterminds that I charge people twenty five grand a year to be a part of, and fifty grand a year to part to be a part of, and they pay it because they get a, a certain value from that, and they make they make that money back. Like if you're there's a lot of men today who feel lost. Okay. It's one of the reasons I do what I do inside sovereign men. And if a man who's feeling lost can go somewhere and just be able to speak his truth without being judged or without having that information, if it's potentially damaging, get out there into in the world. And he just has to pay 25 bucks a week to be able to do that. That's a bargain. This guy Except makes... unfortunately, now everyone in the liminal order is being doxxed and all of their information and these conversations they've had are being leaked online. So perhaps it's not, not a great good. idea. It's not. And I feel terrible because no one should be going after these guys who are a part of this organization. It's not fair. Here's the problem with a lot of these uh and I would be very careful with these organizations that are offering communities, especially if they're online communities, is the the issue of safety and security. Um, Remember what has happened going down with January 6th and with the attempted kidnapping on the governor Whitmore, et cetera. There were federal agents, provocateurs, 
doing, you know, whipping these things up, including the yeah, attack I saw that. On, there was a video of the guy there. Yeah. 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 Federal agents. So don't, don't for one second believe that anything you write online anywhere is secure. Even if someone tells you you're paying this $100 a month and it's secure and your, your information will never go anywhere, do not believe it. Because right now, all of those guys in the order, in Jack Murphy's little order, their, their information has been leaked online. They have been doxxed. Really? So, How the hell did that Yeah. Happen? 4chan got interested in this and decided uh, to go in through the back door of his website and it's all out there. I've been reading it for days. So it's unfortunate. But there but is. They, but, it, but isn't that illegal for them to go and hack someone's website? I mean, that, I think there's federal rules and laws. Who's gonna, okay, who's going to catch the Anons on 4chan? Has it ever been done? No. No one's going to catch them. For, they can do whatever they want. You get it, 4chan mad at you, and it's over. You're done. You're cooked. So... And I don't know why they're mad at the guys who signed up for this. And I don't think that they should be doxing them. Uh, and I think it should stop. But it is going on right now. So th this is unfortunate. But be very careful with what you put out there online. And we're living in very dangerous times where the mm. FBI has carte blanche to investigate anybody they want for political reasons and political purposes. There are people sitting in prison right now with no trial and no bail and no way of uh, getting any justice. And they've been there for almost 12 months now without a trial uh, uh, because of January 6th, which I believe was also uh, instigated by maybe agents. I mean, it, it looks that way. And uh, I don't think that, I mean, I'm in contact with some of the guys that are in the DC jail right now, and they never thought they would be there. Okay. And the guys right now who are getting their stuff doxxed online, they may be investigated next. You don't know what they were saying in those communities. Like you said, maybe they thought they were blowing off steam. Maybe they thought they were, you know, what if they were talking about uh, civil war, for instance? What if they were, who knows well, we shouldn't what do they that were talking publicly. <laughs> well, but you know, you're well, we saying- We shouldn't do that, period. I mean, civil war is like not a good a, thing. Of course it's not, but we know Having that- Having lived in, through a revolution in Iran, I can exactly. tell you, people with guns shooting at each other in the street, it's that not happened, good. and having us cower no. in our house, don't want to do that you don't want to go there and but i will tell you that because of the the intense emotions surrounding the election surrounding you know all of what's gone down in this country there are people who are frustrated enough to want to blow off steam and and i mean we saw it on january 6th they made a very bad choice that day that was a real bad idea don't go to don't don't start a fight with with armed police officers that's never a good idea and conservatives never do that so the the fact that that happened to me means there were other things in place to make it happen because I've been to so many protests with millions of people, Tea Party protests, all kinds of different conservative protests. And there's never been an, a moment that it was even close to that. We were told to get off the grass, we get off the grass. We pick up all our trash. We're like the nicest protesters ever. But Listen. January 6th was like a whole other thing. There were agent provocateurs that yes. were there. There's no question about it. There's no question. There were either federals or they were people paid by folks, uh, you know, on the left that do this. I, I have friends in the police departments here in Canada, and they talk to us about paid agitators that they see at protest and after why protest. Did the cops, why did the D.C. cops let them in? Why did they take the barriers down? Why, there was all kinds of questions that I have 
about that event that makes me real mad because I, I feel like, you know, the, the, the it was the an police. inside job by the left wanting to embarrass the, the mm-hmm. president and the and right. Unfortunately, they line. set they set those guys up and they they stepped right into it because a lot of them were very new to this movement. They just came in with Trump. He was the first person that excited them. And they never in their lives before saw how Democrats behave during elections. And that that's really sad because I had to explain to a lot of people, honey. Democrats have been stealing elections my entire life. I'm from Cook County, okay? Cook County, Illinois, where we've made jokes about this since I was in diapers. There's no, there is no, you know, what we are used to going to waking up at, you know, going to bed with a winner at midnight and waking up at six and everything changed to 4 a.m. That's not new. This is something that we have been, our lawmakers have been really bad about, about doing anything about. They have not made any effort to make our elections secure. And, um, and the Democrats are so good at it by this point that we can't prove they did it. We can say we know that this activity is really bad and shouldn't be going on, but they cover their tracks. So, so these poor people at the Capitol who had never paid attention to politics before, and that's what I truly believe. This is mostly a crowd of people who only started paying attention when Donald Trump was elected. They really believed that they were going to get somewhere by saying, hey, that was unfair. That was unfair. And of course, this has been going on for as long as I've been alive and longer. Well, well listen, um, there have been a number of presidential elections that have been stolen in American history. And there, right. there, there have been a, a number of, uh, of senatorial elections that I'm aware of. So uh, I think 1876. Oh, and there's tons of local elections that are yeah, stolen that all, the all the time. But you're I, talking I, I, about I, elections that are like, you can win by one or two votes. Yeah, you know, I can't even, I can't, you know, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't talk about those because, you know, there are too many to count. But 1876, <laughs> Uh, Rutherford B. Hayes defeated Samuel Tilden. And in fact, Samuel Tilden won that election. And that was the Republicans who stole that particular election. But, you know, they made a deal and Tilden went away and and Hayes Hayes was installed as president. You know, Um, uh, I I think that the uh, election of 1912 was uh, was stolen when Woodrow Wilson became president. I'm actually pretty darn sure that Democrats stole, stole that election. I don't think Woodrow Wilson actually won that election or even came close to winning that election. 1960, Jack Kennedy's daddy bought Jack that Kennedy. election from, uh, from, uh, from him. Everyone knew Nixon won Texas and Illinois. Everyone knew Nixon won Texas and Illinois. But There's, Cook County, Cook County brings Cook it County home and, every time. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Laredo Look, in South Texas and a bunch I of other ones. I knew somebody in Chicago whose grandmother was an election. She worked uh, at one of the you know election poll, polling places. She was a vote counter uh, during that election. And she told her grandchildren <laughs> that, after the polls closed, the mobsters came in, they shut the doors and locked them in and they had them all sit down and change. She personally changed votes with a pencil herself. She sat and did that and they were told to do it and they did it because there were mobsters in the room. So this is something that there are witnesses to. Uh, It's not new. And it's certainly it is a hurdle we have to overcome during every election. And the answer 
is not to start a civil war and to go to, you know, the capital. No, what's happening right now at the state level is the right answer. That's the right thing to do is to change your election laws in your state to make them as secure as possible. I like what Scott Adams says about our election. Our the 2020 election was the greatest, most secure election of our lifetime. And and we're not allowed to check. (laughs) We're not allowed to check. We're not allowed to check. But it is the greatest and most secure. And if it weren't we wouldn't know because we're not allowed to check and and that's unfortunate yeah. but we need to change that on the state level i knew the day after the election that it was over i knew that uh i got a i got an invitation to go to the january 6th protest uh all expenses paid i turned it down i said no i don't want anything to do with that because i knew it would be nothing but an opportunity to make republicans and trump supporters look bad and sure enough yeah, yeah, it it was uh, it was it was definitely that it was definitely that. Uh, so some other famous stolen elections: Lyndon Johnson defeating Coke Stevenson in the Texas Democratic primary in 1948. I mean, he brazenly stole that election. If Coke Stevenson uh, had uh, actually uh, been allowed to win that election, which he actually did win, we would have never had the Great Society. Just imagine that. We would we would have never had Lyndon Johnson uh, becoming president. Hubert Humphrey would have probably been Jack Kennedy's vice presidential running mate in 1960. Uh, and without Lyndon, he might not have won the presidential election because Texas would have gone Republican. So there you go. Quite uh, craziness. All right. So listen, let's get into the business end of things uh, for a couple of moments, okay? Because this has been a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed it. But uh, we, we want to give people some value from the point of view of how you've been able to build your brand. So you got into the business, you started to do what you loved, and you established a following for yourself. I want you to put your thinking cap on around this. How were you able to stand out enough to build a big enough following that has had you, you know, be one, basically one of the top conservative writers uh, out there and thought leaders out there. What, what allowed you to do that? I think my editor would say that it's my voice. Um, I have a very distinct writing style and I think, you know, you can tell that it's me without seeing my byline most of the time, especially with my op-eds. And when you're writing, um, editorials, you do want to develop a writer's voice. And it's very, very important. It's one of the things in college uh, that my professors would say to me all the time, which is you have a very distinct voice. They loved that about the way I write. I can't tell you how to do that. I don't know. It's just something I've always had. And uh, one of the things is that I write in a conversational way. I write the way I speak. And uh, without all the ums, though, but I write the way that I speak, uh, and it makes it makes the it makes the reader feel as if they're in a conversation, as if they're sitting across a table uh, from me. I, I've just always done that, and I've heard from I've heard from sources that you know, like my editor and others, who say your voice is very distinct, and we can tell. I can tell that it's you. She's been editing me, Paula Bulliard at PJ Media. She's been editing me for probably the last five out of the eight years I've been there. And Paula just made it. She actually made a comment the other day in our Slack chat that Slack chat that there are a few writers that she can she can identify without even seeing the byline. If if she reads a paragraph, she knows who wrote it. And I think that that's an important thing to differentiate yourself when you are a writer, to develop that 
thing that's unique to you, whatever that is. As far as um, that's a very powerful I, point. I really appreciate I, you sharing that because that's very true. Being distinctly yourself is what allows you to succeed, not just as a writer, but frankly, out there in the business world. Yeah. Right. You offer something that others don't, right? That's the, that's the issue is that, and I think my, my go-to has always been, I, I like to write with a humorous tone. Most of the things that I write, um, you know, I like to put my jokes in and when I'm doing my investigative reporting, because I also do investigative journalism, uh, and I've been investigating corrupt judiciaries throughout the United States for the last, uh, several months, I'm getting a big one that's coming in Montana. I just broke it on, uh, yesterday, that. yesterday, part two is coming today. It should be in it. Ed- it's in editing now, um, where I sat down with a Montana state rep, but here's another thing you can do. I mean, I, I try to get the story myself. I do it myself. I don't like news aggregation. I don't like to go to the Wall Street Journal and get it. I don't like to go to somebody else and get it. I like to get it myself. So I look into the news and I see what is here that hasn't been done. Who hasn't been talked to? How do I get the a new story out, even if it's about a topic that's trending? So in the instance of the Montana judiciary scandal, the Wall Street Journal did break that story. And I decided because I had already been in contact with uh, the victims from July and what in the wall, here comes the wall street journal stepping on my story, but I'm not worried because they don't have any of my victims. I've been talking to them since July. So I'm going to have a huge, you know, I've, I've got all this new stuff they don't have. And it gives me, it gives the story a whole new um, set of uh, credibility when the wall street journal is also talking about what's going on, what, what, what I've uncovered in Montana. Um, so that's, that's another thing is again, it's a uniqueness. It's getting a different angle, getting something yesterday. I sat down with a state rep in Montana. This guy is so great. If you're in Montana, you've got to vote for him for Senate. His name is Brad Sheeta. It's, it's spelled really weird. T S C H I D A Brad Sheeta. He is something, he is the kind of, um, representative you wish you had in every state in this nation. He's a guy who came arm in arm with these victims who brought to him evidence that the judiciary is corrupt. And he said, yes, I will sponsor your bill. Yes, I will put put it through. And he has been working his tail off to do that. And I sat down with him and had a half an hour interview conversation with him yesterday. And that's going up on PJ Media today. It's going to be really good because this is the first time ever that I have found a state representative to sit down and talk to me and answer all my questions honestly and openly about why it's so hard to check the judiciary and why they're allowed to run rampant over the people. And it's a great interview and I can't wait for it to publish. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. So I think that's a very powerful uh, point that you made. It's important to, to, to do the work, to go dig. Don't, don't be lazy. Uh, don't get, be get your lazy. thoughts out there. Yeah, I've been don't working be lazy. on this since July. It is now, what is it, January? And, and my first article that I put out on it was yesterday. So it takes time. If you want something good, it takes time. And I do have to put in my own effort and that's on my own dime because I don't get paid if there's no writing up on the website. I only get paid when the articles are up there. But in order to write good journalism, you cannot be a news aggregator. You cannot just repeat news from other sources. You have to go in and you have to get it yourself, which means you have to do the work. You have to pound the pavement. You have to knock on doors, make phone calls, and actually get the interviews uh, and and hold people accountable. I, you know, I, I reach out to every single subject of every article I write, every judge, 
who I'm critical of, I have reached out to and tried to get them to get on the record as well. And it is a thankless job. Uh, it's a thing, they, you know, you're, you're gonna be real hated if you do real journalism. That's the way it goes. So Megan, I've really enjoyed this conversation. So if people are interested in your books, they're interested in reading your work, they can come to PJ Media. Uh, tell us about your books. Let's, let's give you a, an opportunity to plug sure. them. Sure. In fact, I think I've got them right in front of me. Let's see. This one, this one is called Believe Evidence, uh, The Death of Due Process from Salome to hashtag Me Too. Uh, this is about, the, about Justice Kavanaugh and how they railroaded him um, with false allegations. And it's basically a, uh, a catalog of all the times that women have lied over the course of history to put men in jail or have them murdered. Uh, starting from the Bible times, you see the, the cover is of Salome and John the Baptist. Uh, yeah. Salome, of course, lied about John the Baptist to get his head on a platter, and she did it. Um, and, you know, those, to me, it's a very, uh, due process is very important. And it's something that I write about a lot. My it's the foundation book, of freedom. It is. My other book is called Shut Up, The Bizarre War That One Public Library Waged Against uh, the First Amendment. This is a great book. It's huge. But if you are a person who was one of these people at the board meetings, you know, going to the board meetings and trying to hold them accountable, this is the book for you. This is the complete manual for how to take down a bad board, including how to write FOIA requests, how to use FOIA requests against them, how to use their own rules against them. This turned out to be, and I wrote this in 2018 with my friend, Kevin Dujan, it turned out to be the must-have book for 2021. <laughs> and even though, because all these parents are now trying to figure out how to take back their school boards, well, this is the book and you can get it on Amazon you should, right you now. Should, you, should, you should definitely get out on more shows and talk about this in particular, I because I think that's important. I know, because it's, it's really relevant and it's funny. It is timeless. It's never going to, it's going to, it's about the public library in Chicago in Orland Park, Illinois, right outside of Chicago that was allowing men to watch pornography in the library near children, like steps away from the children's from the teen department. And um, Kevin and I took him to task and we made them stop. And not only that, but we sued them and we won. We, the, 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 you, this is the way to do it. And the people now, it's funny. I'm like, I'm watching all these parents. I'm like, oh, I've been there. I have been there. They sued me too. And they lost. So it's a, it's a, this is a great book for anybody who is working on uh, getting to the bottom of what's going on on these public boards. Get, Get out it. on more shows with your book and you should contact every organization out there that's going out and fighting these wars and you should offer to speak to them and talk about your book. I think you can I sell should. yourself. There. Just I listen should. to me. I, get, I make people I've, money. I'm really good at my, it. Listen I've got it. my nose into so much of what I'm doing for that. I, I don't ever take time to market my stuff ever. Want to know how you're going to get on Tim Pool's show? Market yourself. <laughs> I know. I don't do it. I don't. So start. So start. Girl, you got a voice. Got on my show, get on a bunch of other shows. I'll introduce yeah. you to a few people and let's go from there. I really appreciate your time. We end off each episode by asking you as our guest expert for your top three pieces of life or business advice for my listener to take on to improve themselves or to improve their business. So what do you say? Well, I've got a great piece of marriage advice. I've been, I've been married for 21 years. And if you want to know the key to good marriage, ladies, let him do whatever he wants. He's going to do it anyway. So that's number one. 
Number two, <laughs> number two, uh, I think in business, work hard. Don't be lazy. Do, don't do, be lazy. Don't, I love it. Don't be I lazy. Take the, that's the main problem with journalism today is that they're all lazy. And three, play with your kids. <laughs> play with your kids because that's what it's really about. We're mm. all trying to find ways how, how to play more. And uh, it starts at home with your kids. Amen. Amen. So, Megan Fox, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to be here. We're going to make sure that we put your books and your uh, website uh, at PJ Media and your articles in the show notes so people can, can check them out. Folks, Megan Fox is the real deal. She is a working journalist that is writing about important things. She has a huge following out there. So I definitely advise you to buy her books and follow her work and really take a good listen to this show and take some good notes about her business advice because it's really going to help you on how you can stand out as a writer, if that's what you do, or frankly, as a businessman or as a businesswoman. You need to learn how to have your own voice and stand out. It's good stuff that she's brought to us, so make sure that you do that. And if you've enjoyed this episode, if it's touched something in your heart, you know we don't charge for this. You know we don't have any sponsors or anything like that. We just ask that you share this with at least one person who needs to hear this message. That's how we grow the movement for freedom, free enterprise, and free expression through you loving what you've heard and thinking someone else should hear it. So don't be lazy. Share the episode. And that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guest, the one and only Megan Fox, please go to the show notes or check out the episode on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, or wherever you happen to listen to your podcast. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. 